Welcome back to the 411 Podcasting Network. I am your host, Larry Zonka, and this is episode 105 of the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, the 411mania.com website, and any major podcasting platform. Please make sure to subscribe to our show, share us around on social media, and if you have time, leave us a five-star review on the podcasting platform of your choosing. Joining me today is my normal Wednesday night co-host, Steve Cook. Steve, how are you, my friend? Oh, just dodging the raindrops over here in Northern Kentucky, good sir. Yeah, a pretty good light show here about an hour or so ago. I had some of that um, as I was finishing AEW heading into NXT. So, uh, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. A little, little thunder, little lightning, little rain going on. Yeah, just a little after the show went off, like around 1030 or so. It got crazy daisy over here, but it's kind of settling down right now. I think we'll be good for the rest of, rest of tonight. But if I drop off, it's either that or my bad internet, one or the other. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, here's what it is. So, Steve, we're coming off of WrestleMania weekend. We're kind of back into the normal grind of things. And as we look to the future, we uh, got a little uh, news to talk about. We got some TV uh, taping stuff to talk about. First of all, WWE going to be taping this week. And uh, apparently the plan from all reports is they're going to tape for the next month of TV. Raw, SmackDown, NXT, 205 Live, even main event matches. And uh, they're doing this in Florida somehow with a stay-at-home law enacted. Uh, don't know how the hell they're getting around that, but I mean, I guess it's good to be friends with Donald Trump. Money talks. Yeah, that's how that's how that's how it works right there. So I mean, you know that Dana White and Vince McMahon are only two people trying to do anything right now. Yeah, I'm surprised Vince hasn't called Dana about his mystery international island to host Money in the Bank on. I knew Vince had to be pissed because he didn't think of it first. Like, what the hell? This is true. Son of a bitch. That's good shit, pal. I guarantee you they had a mistake like when they signed the wrong one-legged wrestler that one time. I guarantee (laughs) you Vince told somebody in management to buy an island, and some fucker came back like, Vince, we tried and failed. What do you mean you failed? We tried to buy Rhode Island, and it didn't work. I was thinking they just ended up signing an islander. That would work too, but I mean, they have a few of those guys running around. Uh, I don't know, but uh, so they're going to knock out apparently a, a month TV in two or three days, Steve. Uh, probably the smart call. Yeah, <laughs> it's more of the it's going to be more of the same, pretty much, I suppose. You know, it's kind of the new normal for right now. We're going to have our pre-taped wrestling with uh, with no fans and with uh, varying amounts of atmosphere. It's just kind of what we're going through right now and it's you know as far as you know my list of problems in the world go i gotta say that you know pre-tape wrestling is pretty low on the list we got the bigger shit to deal with pretty much man uh impact was going to be running out of uh material this week because they had a pay-per-view scheduled for the 19th and it appears that they are going to tape in nashville at a studio and no crowd, obviously, and that they're going to try to knock out um, a month of TV and possibly the Rebellion pay-per-view, which may turn into an Access TV special. Are they going to go back to the fairgrounds, or did they finally tear that thing down? No, I, I don't know if it got tore down. They're, they're going back to the studio space that they were actually renting before um, when like they were centered in Nashville. Okay. So um, they're going back there. They're going to tape TV there. Uh, apparently limited roster as well from everything going around. 
Oh, sure. It's going to be really tough to get some of those people. Uh, not that I know a lot of the impact roster off the top of my head, but I'm sure a lot of them are going to have difficulties getting to Nashville. So that is what's going on with Impact. Again, ROH is running best of stuff right now. They did uh, one on the Briscoes with uh, interview footage and then uh, two uh, like kind of classic matches. Then this week's is uh, Jay Lethal. Uh, with interview footage and um, a match with uh, Jay Briscoe when he won the title and his uh, match with AJ Styles from Final Battle in 2015. Both great pieces of business. Speaking of Ring of Honor, I was channel flipping the other day and I happened across, you know, you know the stadium channel? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's on, if you have your uh, box, you kind of flip over, you got, you know, 5.1, 5.2 or whatever. It's one of those digital sub-channels. That you probably have on your cable system, if you your non-cable system, if you're listening, you just you know turn on your antenna or whatever, and there it is. So I was flipping by it, and it's like two o'clock in the afternoon or something, and they're showing like this random Ring of Honor show. And I was like, okay. And the, the Ring of Honor show they were showing just a few days ago is building up the G1 Supercard in Madison Square Garden. Oh, there you go. They so were... that, was a, that was a little while ago, right? Yeah, it was uh, kind of last year. Yeah. So. I don't know. Uh, yeah, they're a little behind. I I wish they at least put something like in the little description, like when this is from or when it happened, whatever. No, we're just uh, we're just there doing that. It's I don't know. I assume they just air random episodes. It's it kind of sounds like it, but um, I don't know, man. Uh, then we got uh, we got most of Japan shutting down now after some more cases broke out. Um, a lot of places just generally being shut down, uh, no empty arena shows happening. It's even gotten to the point that Big Japan has finally stopped running shows. Oh, no, Big Japan's done? Ugh. They were just running through everything with people most of the time, so it's like, yeah, but, um, it's, it's, uh, it's not getting any better quicker over there. Um, there are rumors when things clear up that if they have to, New Japan may explore running, um, some empty arena stuff. But uh, we'll see what happens with that. And, of course, whenever something like this happens, you have to wonder how many of those permissions are going to be able to survive the uh, stall in action. That's the big thing. and We kind of talked about this before, Steve. I, I think you're going to have to keep an eye out for a lot of those lower-level promotions that run literally like hand-to-mouth and have to run shows all the time. Those are going to be the ones that are going to drop out of business. Yeah, it's going to be the same thing like with the American indie scene as well. You have a lot of these promotions that, uh, you know, they barely skate by. They go from show to show. And I, I see a lot of them hyping up their they, – they have the internet streaming services going. They're trying to hype those up. So hopefully that throws some money their way. But you just it's tough to say right now. That's right. Uh, MLW doesn't have a lot of footage left. But apparently, according to Court Bauer in an interview, they can run to 2021 without holding another live event. And I'm just assuming he would go to the archived footage, but... Uh, there we go. Yeah, so... Bring back some Uncle Gary Hart, maybe? That's right, the Extreme Horseman. Yes, yes. Kojima, back when oh. he got the title run. And, oh. Yeah, I mean... Didn't they have I, a random Dusty Rhodes-Terry Funk match or something? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the stuff. So, it'll be interesting to see what they do, but uh, everybody's kind of working into contingency plans. NWA is... Uh, kind of shit out of luck right now because the uh, stuff that they had taped was all building to the Crockett Cup. Yeah. And I guess that uh, they've ran, like, they aired the 70th anniversary pay-per-view. They aired that, uh, like, tent pool event, they called it. 
And then they aired some uh, Paul Bosch Houston wrestling this week. Yeah, I need to check that out at some point because yeah. that actually sounded pretty interesting. Yeah, I need to check that out as well. So that's so Paul a... Bosch talking to his uh, well, uh, his his good friend Junior Hernandez. That's right. They're friends, right? You know, just, that's what they yeah. say. Promoter and wrestler, not, not nothing close. Nothing close to see. Nothing to see there. Not at all. No. Um, but yeah, I mean that's kind of what's going on in terms of wrestling TV right now. It's a uh, it's kind of a wild scene. You have a lot of people trying to make the the best of their situations. Uh, a lot of people trying to ensure that they have content so that they can get their TV rights fees if that's what they get and all that stuff. And yeah, uh, and that's again that's why UFC is trying. That's why Dane is trying to do everything to do these shows because everybody has to remember that when they were bought, it was like four billion dollars or some shit. And their payments every year are gigantic on that loan. The interest alone is gigantic. Mm. So apparently ESPN has basically said if they run their contract, it shows they're getting all their money. So if they do that, they'll be fine. And ESPN is going to take any concept they can get at this point, let's be honest. Yeah, I mean, they were rerunning old WrestleMania, so. Yeah, yeah, they'll take anything. They're not going to worry about, you know health concerns or anything like that if they get something they're gonna air it whatever it is yeah i did like dana white trying to defend like they're gonna run uh shows on the indian reservation and he's like talking about how uh like the closest hospital is 40 minutes it's not a big concern and then somebody had a list of like nine fighters from the last uh four pay-per-views that had to be rushed to the hospital for serious concerns it's like yeah that, that sounds fun jesus sounds like a brawl for all i know so it's just um yeah I mean that's uh, that's kind of where we are Steve. AEW has content taped in the May. Okay. WWE again is going to be taping stuff for the next month, and then I guess we're just going to kind of see where we go from there. We're going to see where we are, if things have gotten better, if they've leveled off. I guess that's the big catchphrase these days. Yeah, you have to level level the curve. So, but uh, we'll see what happens. But uh. Steve, the good news is, is kind of no matter what happens, we're going to have stuff to talk about. Yeah. We got yeah, some... There's, pl- a, there's, there's always something going on. There's going to be some Dynamite. There's going to be some NXT. There's going to be some whatever. That's right. And like I said before, you know, we, uh, we're going to do some retro content, continuing on with some of that. We're going to make sure you guys have something to listen to so you don't have to worry about that. Yeah, and you got plenty of time to listen to it, too, so there's really no excuse. Pretty much. So that is going to kind of bring us into our Wednesday night action. March 8th, 2020, Steve. Yep. And we start off April. with... April. April. I'm sorry, April. Whatever. Yeah, we're all losing track of days and, you know, it's it's tough to keep track anymore. It is, I'm dude. Not, I don't know. Yeah. Stuck in the house and everything. But um, So we start with Dynamite and we opened up with a Jake Roberts promo. Yeah. And, uh... Jake is just, he's fucking Jake Roberts, brother. That's, that's all I can really say. He's hes great. He puts over Lance Archer as a killer. There are issues with Cody. Had a little line about how Marco stepped up because he wanted to become a man. And then he only showed that he ended up being an idiot because Lance Archer murdered him last week. He asked Cody if he was a man or a mouse and then told him to squeak up. Squeak up. Very nice, Jake. But Marco apparently learned nothing from all this because he's still acting like an idiot, idiot player in the show. 
Yes, make sure you remember that. So we had Chris Jericho, Le Champion, and Tony Schiavone on commentary. Yes. And let me <laughs> tell you. that's been ongoing for 25 years. That's right. And they referenced that several times. But let me tell you, if you love Tony and Cody, uh, Tony and Cody, you'll probably love Jericho and Tony because <laughs> it was something else. So we started off with uh, Lance Archer in action. Um, I didn't catch the young man's name, but I believe his name was Dead Meat. Yes. Um, close enough, really. Lance Archer destroyed this young gentleman in 90 seconds. It was a pummeling. At one point, he picked him up for a choke slam with one hand and then threw him backwards over his head. Oh, you know. Like, all the way across the fucking ring. And then he Ultimate hit the blackout. I wish he thought of that. Yeah, and he, he hit the blackout to finish it, and uh, Lance Archer killed a man on national TV. Yeah. You know, that's kind of what Lance Archer has become known for in the uh, past several years. And I imagine we'll be seeing a lot more of that here to come in AEW as long as, uh, as long as Cody refuses to squeak up. That's right. Overall, I thought a great way to kick off the show, you got the Jake promo, you got Lance Archer killing a man. And again, this isn't any of that bullshit. Like, I understood why the Marco match went a little long. Like, it wasn't long, but, you know, it was over four minutes. I understand why. Because Marco is actually a name in the company right now and a sympathetic babyface. Sure. But when you have some dude in there who nobody knows who he is, Lance Archer needs to be killing a dude with, like, no resistance in under two minutes, and that's what he did. Simple. Exactly. We went to the ladies next, Steve. Big match yeah. in the women's division. Hikaru Shida versus Dr. Britt Baker, and... Steve, before I go to you at the end of the day, Hikaru Shida won the match at 17.05 via pin. What were your thoughts on this match, Steve? Well, I mean, Hikaru Shida won the match, but at the end of the day, you got to give some credit to the good Dr. Britt Baker, who just uh, took all kinds of never-ending punishment. Poor girl got her nose busted. It didn't look like a good situation for her. And... Uh, Frankly, I think Britt Baker reacted well to having her nose busted. She looked a, looked a little happy about it, quite frankly. She went from, as Jericho said, she went from Ace Freely to Gene Simmons. So, uh, got to see a different side of the doctor this week. And, you know, Sheeta just kind of has that tendency to bring out the best in her, in her opponents, which is why she's so highly ranked in the AEW Top 5 and had another masterpiece here with uh, Britt Baker. A matchup that maybe didn't look the best on paper, but let's face it, at this point, if it's... If it's got Sheeta in it, she's going to bring the best out of whoever she's in there with. So, And she'll get Nyla Rose here eventually, and that should be a pretty darn good one as well. But uh, definitely a good... I mean, and you got to give the good Dr. Britt Baker some some uh, props for her performance here. And, you know, try and give Tony some advice too, but that darn Sheeta attacked her from behind. I don't know. I know. Uh, yeah, I thought they had a really, really good hard-hitting and physical match. Um, you had two of the kind of top contenders going at it here. Um, I thought the babyface heel dynamics were played very well by both. Yeah, Britt reacted really well because this was not like she got her nose hit and there was a little bit of blood. She was pouring blood at one point because there was dots all over the ring. I mean, she got busted open big. And she kept her composure. She kept going. And I just, yeah, tons of credit to her. Hikaru Shia wins. She continues to roll here. And honestly, I think all things considered, and you take all everything they did into consideration and the fact that Britt may have broken her fucking nose, I think overall this was her best in-ring outing to date. Oh, no doubt about that. And uh, one thing I forgot to point out, those 
Uh, some of those fans at ringside are a little bit unruly throughout the evening. A little rowdy. And like in this match, you had a couple of these fans holding Britt Baker so Sheeta was able to kick her. Like, what is that all about? Jericho was not happy with young Pineapple Pete. No, Pineapple Pete was causing all sorts of trouble tonight. And I don't know where the referee was, why they, they did nothing to stop this atrocity. I don't know. What, there's got to be some rule in the AW rulebook against that, right? You would think so. But the, the fans were a little unruly tonight, Steve. I don't know. They were. It, it popped up again later on, which we'll get to. So we had uh, Kenny Omega meeting with Michael Nakazawa backstage. They were talking about their match tonight and that they needed a team name here at AEW because they had only teamed in Japan. Michael Nakazawa wanted to be the best friends. Kenny tried mm. to talk him out of this because they already had a best friends team, which led, to or- which led to Orange Cassidy popping out of the shitter and the best friends arriving. They had been listening all along. They argued over who would be the best friends. And Trent and Chuck basically said they would put the best friend's name on the line tonight. That's big of them. I mean, that's the, that's stepping up to the plate right there. Trent and Chuck had no... There's no reason for them to defend their own name. But uh, they went ahead and put it on the line. So you got to give them props for stepping up. And um, I don't know why Kenny's so worried about having a tag team name with, with Nakazawa here when he doesn't have a tag team name with Adam Page. Like, what's up with that? Who knows, man? Who knows? Where is he? The hangman, I guess the hangman self-isolated himself, right? I think so. Yeah. Self-isolated with a couple cases of whiskey? That, that sounds like the hangman. He doesn't really need an excuse for that. No. So, Excalibur broke down the AEW uh, top five rankings in every division. Uh, Dark Order, Hikaru Shida, and Jake Hagar are number one in their divisions. Yeah. And that led to a big video package, extremely well done video package, hyping up next week's Moxley versus Hagar empty arena title match. Thought it was really well done. You had the comments from both guys, Hagar's wife, Hagar's coach, clips of them preparing for the match. Just a really strongly done video package that I enjoyed. I was going to make some comments about uh, about Jake Hagar's wife there, but then I remembered she's married to Jake Hagar. I probably don't want to do that. That would probably be a wise idea, Steve. And that'd be a, that'd, end, that'd end poorly for me. But uh, yeah, some uh, good stuff here from uh, building up both guys here. Got this big match coming up, and you know, big big world title match. You gotta dig it. That's right. So then we got a big hype video package for the TNT Championship Tournament, focusing on Cody and Sean Spears and their match tonight, their history together, and how important the championship was for them to win. Again, it's the only championship Cody can win. Oh yeah, but which is why it's super important for him. Yeah. But no, again, another well done video package. Glad to see they're fitting in a little more video package stuff, and this is the time to do it. Absolutely, and that and that's a darn good way to stretch out your material that you taped as well. Yeah. Excuse me. The best friends defeated Kenny Omega and Michael Nakazawa, sixteen twenty five via pin. Next, Steve. I thought they had a good little match. It was a nice change of pace match, uh, you know, a little more lighthearted, obviously, than the women's match and the Lance Archer murder match. Yes. You had Nakazawa doing his wackiness with the uh, Turkish massage oil, slipping out of chops and stuff. And, uh, I mean, it was it was good, though. I, it was enjoyable. The best friends pick up a big win. And um, it was at this point where I was just like, Tony and Jericho were fucking killing it on commentary. I was losing it. They're having a lot of fun, you could tell. 
they're enjoying themselves and uh, this is uh you know it's it's one of those different style of matches not not the most serious thing in the world but uh nice to have a little levity here now and again although i can i can live without michael nakazawa taking off his uh g-string and uh sticking in people's faces that, that, that was a little bit too much for me yeah <laughs> tony being all like we've seen this before and jericho's like <laughs> where, where? <laughs> yeah Jer- jericho was so good but yeah, again, yeah. a good little change of pace match lightened it up a little bit. But I thought the work was good overall, and again, the right team won. So yeah, it's a little little loss for Kenny though. That's a rare yeah. loss for Kenny Omega. He he's just lost without the Hangman. Uh, darn right he is. He needs to get that get that guy back. So we had Brody Lee meeting with three of his minions. Yes. And he was making fun of two of these geeks for not dressing properly. Well, one of them was, and he he said he was there to make lives extraordinary, to give them success, and to get their acts together. And then he said he had an opportunity for them and took him into a building. And we never saw them again, so he may have killed them. He may have just killed them, which uh, would would make sense. I I guess Brody was not a big fan of the the dress code. That's right. Because the man wore the same white beater for like 10 years, so I can kind of see where he might not be down with that. This is true. We had Dr. Britt Baker backstage giving an interview following her loss, claiming she lost half of her blood in that match, and that Hikaru Shida plays what? dirty and cheats. She's And then I quote, she's lucky she didn't touch my teeth. But if she did, it's okay because I'm a dentist. That's right. You know, I, it's, it's good to remind people of that from time to time, because I think people tend to forget that Britt Baker is, in fact, a dentist. Yeah. So that was, that was a good little promo by Brett. I lost half of my blood in that match. Yeah, that's a lot of blood. She might need to... I hope she got that checked out. Yeah, grab, grab some orange juice and a cookie to it. So, I mean... <laughs> we went back and got another Hagar versus Moxley video package. Again, another really well-done video package. Comments from both guys. Basically, Moxley promised to fuck him up next week. And, um... Again, enjoyable stuff, and I like... Here's the thing. I see a lot of people, why is Jake Hager number one contender? He's beat, like, two people, blah, blah, blah. It's not because he beat two jobbers. It's because he kept attacking Moxley and tried to kill him with powerbomb off the stage. Then he laid him out on dark. Moxley challenged him, so to justify him getting a title shot, you had to give him wins, even if they're over geeks, because you don't want an 0-0 guy getting a world title shot. I had no problem with uh, the, the setup to the match, honestly, and now he's a fish and number one contender, so that that's nice. But uh, yeah, and as people want, as much people want to knock Jack Swagger in WWE, which is, you know, there's a lot of ups and downs there. We are talking about a guy who is uh, technically un, unbeaten in MMA, technically unknocked out, uh, not knocked out, or he didn't, he didn't lose that fight. Did he? Was that his known contest? Am I correct on that? Yeah, he's technically undefeated still. Technically undefeated MMA. We're talking about a badass here now. Come on. That's right. No problem with that. We're talking about a man with wrestling credentials, you know, University of Oklahoma, All-American, you know, good stuff. Nothing wrong with that. Oh, excuse me. So then we had okay. Matt Hardy from the Hardy Compound. Mocking Jericho for hot tubbing and leather pants last week, which he should. Well, he, I, I I didn't mind the I didn't mind the look myself, but we're to each their own. I I just wonder how long it took him to get out of those things. Ah, uh, poor Sammy probably had a tough time dealing with that. That's right. 
So then he proceeded to run down the inner circle. He called Sammy a fake god and possibly a fraud Latino. Ah, uh, I don't know about that. He, he so- made fun of uh, Santana and Ortiz and said they looked like snacks to him, which was good because he loves Puerto Rican food. Then said Jericho will never recruit Vanguard One. <laughs> Vanguard One arrived, and uh, Hardy wanted him to bring him the Inner Circle shirt, but he had brought a Matt Hardy shirt because he had already set the Inner Circle shirt on fire, which led to Matt I... Hardy inviting Jericho to the Hardy compound for an elite deletion. The elite deletion coming soon, and uh, I think we know that Matt Hardy definitely likes himself some uh, Puerto Rican snacks. If you know, what I'm getting at. I think that's safe to say. I think that you was smell what I'm cooking there, now. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, nice little thing to set up. Uh, more future hilarity. Elite deletion coming to a theater near you. And uh, yeah, nothing wrong with that. And, you know, it's typical crazy Matt Hardy, but I think people will, were down with this a little bit more because they're, you know, it's some good smack talk. Yeah, and it didn't have like any wacky supernatural stuff that like people didn't like the teleportation and stuff like that. So, but yeah, I thought it came off well, and we'll uh, we'll see what Jericho does in that realm because he's been pretty much killing everything. So it probably be really good. I I just, I just can't wait to see what happens once Jericho gets Vanguard One to join the inner circle. That'll be the heel turn of the century. It will be. Oh man. Next up, the exalted one Brody Lee killed young Lee Johnson in about ninety seconds. He just destroyed this young lad. Now, is it just me? I mean, may it's just me, but when you got a guy named Brody Lee, you gotta give your job a different name than Lee Johnson. I, you, you can't have Lee versus Lee. Switch it up. Yeah. Switch it up, pal. I mean, you know that. Now have been a good ode to events as well because we know how they felt about having two Lances and two Shanes and two Steves and all that stuff back in the day. Yeah, change it to another L name if you have to. Give me Leonard Levan. Leroy Johnson. Come on, there, there we go. go. Yeah. So yes, but uh, the exalted one killed this young lad, and it was exactly what it was supposed to be. And you had Marcus stunts to sit in ringside trying to act like he was something like I. Uh, Marco, you already got killed by uh, Lance Archer. I don't think you'll be messing with Mr. Brody Lee. Who Jericho is very sure to call him Mr. Brody Lee on commentary. Well, oh, Jericho doesn't want to die. He's smart, unlike Marco Stunt, who Jake Roberts told us earlier was an idiot. That's right. The, uh, Jericho and Tony were very smart like that. So, announced for next week, we have two matches. The TNT Championship Tournament quarterfinal match between Lance Archer and Colt Cabana. Colt, it was lovely knowing you. Yeah, you know, Colt's a good guy, but... I love Colt, but uh, I don't like his chances next week. That's all I'm saying. And then we have our AEW title empty arena match between John Moxley and Jake Hagar, Steve. Yep, and that should be a barn burner. I think I saw on Twitter that uh, good old JR be making his return to call that match. Ah, yeah, because I believe that was taped back in Florida when he was there. So yeah, so you know Jerica, and you know JR is all about those Oklahoma boys too. So you might uh, there might be some bias seeping through in that commentary. I don't know. Maybe a little bit. So our main event was the TNT Championship Tournament quarterfinal match between Cody and Sean Spears, Steve. They won 21 and a half minutes, and at the end of the day, Cody won. And what did you think? I thought it was pretty good for the most part. Uh, towards the end, they got a little too... Uh, I mean, you, 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 they haven't doing a little bit too much, I thought. You had the big table spot. 
You had Cody hitting the man with two crossroads, and that still wasn't enough to get a three count. It seemed a little much to me in that regard. And also the finish with uh, Sean Spears keeping his shoulders down during the figure four for a three count. Didn't even look like he passed out or nothing. He just looked like he was spasming on the mat or something. I wasn't quite sure what was going on there. Jericho says the first time he's seen that in 30 years. So, I mean, it was a unique finish for sure. But, uh, I mean, they went out there and they they worked hard. You can't knock the effort. And I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying maybe a little too much there. But at the same time, I you know, you do want to get the TNT title off to a good start. So I can kind of see where they're coming from there. I think not only do you want to get that title off to a good start, I think Cody was, I think it was like, I get what you're saying, it kind of went into, it felt like a little too much, but I also think at the same time they were trying to protect Spears because he was losing again. Yeah. Because, I mean, I thought it was a really good match, I really enjoyed it, I thought they played off of their history well together, thought it got the tournament off to a good start, and it felt like they were actually fighting for something important. Yep, that's true, which they are the TNT Championship. That's right. So that is going to be AEW for the week, and we are going to move on to NXT TV for... Oh, wait a minute. Hold on, hold on. X. The, that damn crowd got involved in that match, too. Pineapple Pete was starting more shit in that main event, too. That's got to be the lead in selling Pineapple Pete, right? That's right. And for those of you that don't know, that, that was Suge Knight that they kept calling... Jericho kept calling Pineapple Pete because of his shirt. Shug Naya? That's Shug Naya Knight from Death Row Records? No, Shug D. Oh, Sugar okay. There we go. Okay. Oh, okay. So that actually could be leading to something. Then. Yeah. All right. So he's, uh, he's local to the, he was local to Atlanta, and he had worked a dark match the week before for Dark. So. Sorry to cut you off there, but I had to point that out. Now we learned something. At least I learned something. So. Well, there you go. Cool. Sugar Duncan. Okay, yeah, that's cool. That could actually lead to something then. Yeah. All right. And I like Sugar Dunkerton. I'm glad he's got a look. So, uh, so anyway, we're going to move on to NXT now, if that's okay, Steve. Well, we can do it now, I guess. Yeah. I, th- I think that, but I think that may have been still going on, so you might want to hold off for a few more minutes. <laughs> uh, we open up with the uh, video package of the Gargano Ciampa feud, which led to our opening match, the number one contender uh, ladder match with the women, featuring... Io Shirai defeating Mia Yim, Dakota Kai, Tegan Knox, Candice LeRae, and Chelsea Green at about 11.50. Steve, what did you think of our ladies opener? I mean, there's another one where they put all the effort into it. They, those the girls went at it. They did some big stuff. Uh, some of it was uh, better than other parts of it. It's a little spotty from time to time. Uh, you had the big finish with... Uh, that darn Rob Stone trying to climb up the ladder like he was freaking James Ellsworth or something. But he made the mistake of trying to help Chelsea Green get up the ladder, too, and that didn't quite work out for them. Io Shirai, of course, gets the win, and Io Shirai always deserves to win, especially in matches like this one. Had a couple of big spots in the match, looked, looked good in the process. And now we get to look forward to Io Shirai taking on Charlotte Flair, which uh, should be a pretty darn good match. Oh, I would think so. Yeah, I am... Um... First of all, I thought the right woman won, and secondly, I thought it was a good match. I thought they worked really hard. They took some hard bumps throughout. The only thing that really got to me was, is like, as far as a criticism, I thought that there weren't a lot of great teases or drama in regards to trying to get the briefcase or the finish overall. I do have a question about the briefcase. Now, does the NXT briefcase, does that work the same way that the Money in the Bank briefcase works? They never said. I just think they wanted something big and pretty hanging up there. Big and pretty. 
All right. They um, we get a Finn Balor video package um, chronicling his issues with Imperium, his trip to NXT UK to challenge Volter, and then we got a promo from him where he talked uh, about how him and Volter um, share a lot of the same traits and all that shit. Basically, they're still hyping that match that was supposed to take place at Takeover over WrestleMania weekend, which I'm all for if we eventually get it. That's why I was wondering: is there any plan? Uh, what about their NXT UK brands? Do they have any plans for to do anything with that? Um, well, no, they're kind of fucked. I forgot to talk about that in the opening news stuff about the TV. They yeah. had a little bit of stuff left, but they had a takeover planned, which is obviously canceled. All the stuff on the shows was takeover center, centered. So basically, it looks like they're going into best of mode for a while. Are they going to be able to tape in the British Performance Center? I don't know. I mean, you would think uh, you know, maybe, maybe Uncle Paul will try to get that through. We'll see. Boris is a little bit busy right now, and Prince Charles is a little bit busy, so maybe they can get through there. That's right. But yeah, we're, they're, they're still building to that, and again, I want to see it when it happens, but who the hell knows when it's going to happen, because of uh, Walter's over there in Europe, he ain't getting on anytime soon. So is Finn over here, or is he in Europe? He was in the I, U.S., I think. I know, yeah, I know he's married, so I, and I believe his wife was over here, so I assumed he's probably over here at this point. Yeah. Which would be tough for him to get over there for, yeah. So then we got highlights of uh, Malcolm Bibbins' uh, giant Indian dudes killing Matt Riddle last week. We got a Killer Cross video package. And then we got a casual recap of Raul Mendoza, Mendoza and Joaquin Wilde being kidnapped by Lucha Ninjas. <laughs> yes, we did. Like, is nobody concerned about these motherfuckers? <laughs> it's like, Apparently I know, not. I know there's I mean, 800 people under contract, but I mean, are we not concerned that the minorities have gone missing? They have a lot of people there. Yeah, that's true. And then, you know, they, they have a few extra bodies they can stay and get rid of for a while. But um, I'm sure they'll come back at some point. And uh, I guess it'll, it may be like the Wrestling Society X angle where the, remember when the Team Dragon Gate guys got kidnapped by random dudes? Yeah. And they, like, brainwashed them and made them evil. Yeah, evil lucha stable coming, brother. How about that for a callback? Going back to Wrestling Society X. Good times. Yeah. So then we got Rinku and Suvar, which are Malcolm Bibbins' uh, giant Indian jacked-up dudes who used to play baseball, facing off with the former 3.0, which are now Ever-Raj, Chase Parker, and Matt Martell. And the giant Indian dudes won at like four and a half minutes. I don't know about you, Steve. I did not think this was a stellar in-ring debut for the big lads. Plus, we did not get a Malcolm Bibbins promo. I was wondering what happened to 3.0. Those guys... I vaguely remember them getting signed, and well, here they are again, killed by... They had some injury issues, which, like, they, they had a couple TV matches, and then, like, one of them got hurt, and then I think when the other one, when he got healthy, the other guy got hurt. I was going to say, I hadn't heard those guys doing anything in a long time. And here they are getting killed by Stokely Hathaway's big boys, or Malcolm Evans, whatever you call He's him. He's still big stoked to us. Whatever you call him this week, and he's, yeah. I mean, that's that's the good, that's the thing right there, because... We all know this guy is supposed to be a top frame of all time. You stick him out there for any kind of appearance, he should be saying something. He didn't say nothing. Exactly. So what I thought the hell? The, What's funny that? I thought the in-ring was just there. They feel like a very generic big dude team, and then we got no promo. Like, it was there. Yeah, it's just a it's just small dude with these two big dudes. All right. Cool. Okay. So What? Adam, Adam Cole cut a promo running down Velveteen Dream, saying he doesn't deserve a title shot and all that shit. Well, I mean, the Velveteen Dream did lose to Roderick Strong in that cage match, though. 
Nah, Paul's right. got Are you saying his win over Roberto Fish means nothing? Yeah, I'll say that. I mean, what's the, <laughs> what what kind of credibility does Bobby Fish have singles wise? He's How a tag team. Dare guy. you, Steve? I mean, he, it's been a while since he's the ROH TV champion. It's been a minute or two, right? Fair, but yeah. Just saying. So we got a recap of Charlotte defeating Rhea Ripley for the NXT Women's Title. Now this is interesting, Steve. Yeah. Because yeah, it's apparently this. there's a report out there that her visa is expired and she went back to Australia. Okay. And that's why they took the title off her because she's going to have to go there, be in quarantine for a couple weeks renew the visa, and then come back. And it's like, first of all, if they knew her visa was coming up, why wouldn't they have done that earlier? It seems like just horrible business planning. And then, second of all, she's like allegedly still in Florida telling everybody she's not in Australia. Hmm. I don't want to say there's a a conspiracy theory and Lady Big Dog (laughs) politicked her way into the championship. But... I'm just I I don't know I mean I kind of figure that giving the belt to Charlotte is always part of the plan right Isn't giving a belt to Charlotte always part of the plan Oh well, I mean that's Pretty the only way they know how to book her as we talked about Pretty much about all the time just give her a belt so and Rhea's number was up so there you have it and uh, and I wouldn't be surprised honestly if they kind of figured like the plan beforehand back a few months ago is like okay let's have Rhea be champ until WrestleMania and then we'll We'll send her back home for a little bit and then bring her back. And then, you know, that way Charlotte could have defenses with Io Shirai and other people. And then you bring Rhea back for a big comeback. But, of course, things are a lot more complicated now with, you know, going back to Australia and can work visas and things like that. So, so kind of, I'm thinking it's kind of an idea that maybe kind of made sense. But, you know, kind of things kind of blow up in their face, which happens from time to time. But... Like I said on Twitter, the only way I think we can prove whether Rhea Ripley is in America or not is if she stops by my house. Fair point. That's you know, and then I'll let you guys know. Okay, Rhea's in America. It's all good. That's all I'm saying. So, I'm trying to help y'all out. It was announced earlier today, and they confirmed it here on the show that due to the travel restrictions, uh, following current situations, because we can't say coronavirus on TV that uh, they're going to crown an interim cruiserweight champion because Jordan Devlin cannot leave Europe. And what? that a tournament is going to start next week. And in theory, it's not the worst idea because a tournament is a good way to fill TV time. Sure. And you can do the natural match with whoever wins the the fake, uh, you know, the fraud belt. Yeah. So Jordan Devlin can come back and beat the shit out of him. Yeah. So. I mean, it's kind of shades of, you know, and people are compared to, uh, you want know, compare it to UFC, obviously, because they kind of started this whole interim title business. Yeah, but, Sean uh, and Razor, man. That's why I was going back to 1993 when Shawn Michaels uh, pieced out for a minute or so, and they had Razor Ramon become the, uh, the new Intercontinental Champion. But then Shawn Michaels came back a few weeks later and still had his belt, which led to a ladder match at, at WrestleMania, which uh, some people say was pretty good. So I, I have no problem with it. Yeah, they, they 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 had an all right match, didn't they, Steve? I think it's okay. I think some people some people remember that one. Maybe some people even still talk about it today because I, don't, you know, but that's just what I hear through the through the grapevine. So yeah, I mean, if your champions over in England, you kind of gotta do what you gotta do. And like you said, tournament on TV, good way to fill time. Exactly. So the entire second hour was the main event presentation. 
yeah. including Gargano, Ciampa, Candice, Triple H all arriving. And then Triple H setting the stage for our cinematically shot alleged feud ending match between Gargano and Ciampa. Steve? Uh. <laughs> this match went 48 minutes with Jonathan Gargano defeating Tommaso Ciampa after Candice LeRae arrived, low-blowed both of them, but it was a trap because Jonathan was wearing a cup. And then he hit Ciampa with his own finish on the uh, exposed ring boards and picked up the win. Your thoughts, Steve? Uh, You know when we talk about the Edge and Randy Orton match being overly long on WrestleMania? Yeah. This one is even longer. And uh, Fran, and I know a lot of people out there. And I know that they, uh, these two guys have had some pretty good matches in the past. And uh, even those tend to run a little bit long. But, I, uh, you know, and as much as I like the, you know, your more cinematic presentations like the Boneyard match and the Fireyard Five Funhouse thing at WrestleMania, I thought was was fine. This thing just uh, it didn't really do it for me. I'm sorry. And I know a lot of you out there are going to disagree with me. A lot of you out there going to tell me that everything Gargano and Ciampa does is great and whatnot, but I wasn't feeling it, man. I just, when I saw this thing go on the air, when it is like, I was like, I was just looking like, is there something else? Are they, is there another match after this? No, we're, it's going to be the whole damn hour. Ugh. Yeah, just, I'm, I wasn't feeling it. Now, Steve, you know I love these two guys. I have rated several of their matches very highly, five stars a couple times. I have loved a lot of what they've done. But much like Orton and Edge, I felt this was way too long, way too self-indulgent, and in many ways it was everything wrong with modern NXT. It was just painfully long, lacking that real personality or character... It had too much overacting and faux drama that it kind of felt like a parody of the real simple storytelling that NXT used to really thrive on. And I know some people are to blame the lack of crowd for this. You can do that all you want. But, first of all, you don't work a fucking 48-minute match with no fans. Excuse me. I think even the fans have gotten tired of it after a while, you know? Yeah. But then, like, for me, this really lacked, like, the kind of depth that their previous matches had that really pulled me in and made me care. It was 48 minutes of them grunting, spliced in with garbage brawling. Not very good intensity overall. Poor monologuing. And then Johnny's big fucking master plan is to get his ass beat for 48 minutes, or I'm sorry, 46 minutes, until his wife comes out and saves him. Yeah, why didn't she come out like 15, 20 minutes earlier? And like, I get it that in a way, it kind of works because in the end, Gargano became everything he hated. He became Tommaso Ciampa. And in a way, through that, Ciampa kind of became what Gargano was because he was remorseful at the end. And I get that. But... I think one of the other problems is is this didn't feel like the end of the feud. No, not at all. So I will say there were some nice elements spliced out, but kind of few and far between because it was so long. I liked this slightly 
better than Orton and Edge. Not by much. But again, my big question is, why does everybody think that a great epic match needs to be so fucking long these days? I'm looking at everybody. This is not just WWE or NXT. I'm looking at every fucking buddy. Sometimes you can have a great match. I mean, and at 12, 15 minutes, you can have a great match. You know? I understand they wanted this to be a little more. But seriously, you shoot this shit and you think 48 minutes with commercials is a great idea? Yeah, man, I don't know. You didn't, you didn't even have more doing a solo commentary during it either. So, post-match, Johnny leaves with Candice, and they're all good, and as they're leaving the building, you see some mysterious figures in a car, which look to be Killer Cross and Scarlet, and uh, so maybe that's going to be the next program for Jonathan. Well, I mean, uh, it's that's an idea. <laughs> that's an idea. <laughs> Jeremy even pointed out, I mean, Jeremy said, like, yeah, let's have Bayface, Killer Cross, and Scarlet against Heel... Johnny and Candace. Okay, that, that, that's an idea. I don't know. So, Steve, that brings us to the head-to-head comparison for the week, my friend. Would you like to go first? I'll go ahead and go first. I mean, I will. I don't. I didn't think Dynamite was a perfect show. I mean, there's some uh, some stuff I didn't really care for. Some stuff that was just was just kind of there. But uh, you know, I I enjoyed the Sheeta and Britt Baker match. Yeah, Cody and Sean Spears put a lot of work in. There's a lot of uh, the videos were very good. Um, you know, you had a couple very entertaining squash matches too, which I, you know, how I love my entertaining squash matches going back to the Monty Brown and Abyss days of Impact. So. Oh yes, always a big fan of those. But uh, uh, so overall, and not to mention Chris Jericho on commentary for Tony Schiavone. Yes, more of that. I believe more of that's coming, so that's gonna be good. Um. So, yeah, I mean, it wasn't a perfect show, but, again, it was a pretty darn good show. NXT, um, I liked the I liked the ladder match. The ladder match was good. And uh, beyond that, the one squash they, they did have didn't really do it for me. And uh, then the last hour of the show didn't really do it for me. So it's, it's AEW by a wider margin this week than usual for me. Uh, yeah, I agree. I thought AEW fucking smoked NXT this week. First of all, I really continue to be impressed on how AEW with so much inexperience in producing TV comparatively to WWE has been able to overcome and really kind of thrive in ways in this empty arena handicap. Obviously, the wrestlers in the crowd help, and I think that they do a really great job. They did, There was a ton of energy there tonight. I thought they did a great job with the promo packages to set up matches and enhance them. Um, and that's a big positive for me. And then you're, you know, they're filling out the show much better um, because with those packages, because like fucking in ring promos in an empty arena are stupid. Mm-hmm. It just does nothing for me. They feel very unnatural in the setting. Archer and Brody Lee got to kill some people, and those were very effective squashes. I thought Sheeta and Baker completely over-delivered. I really enjoyed that. The tag match was good. I really enjoyed the main event. I thought they did a hell of a job hyping up Moxley and Hagar for next week. I enjoyed the hell out of Dynamite. Again, like I said, it's, it's not a perfect show. I thought it was pretty great, though. NXT, I thought the women's ladder match was good. Had the right winner. 
I thought that the Indian dude's little in-ring debut was really flat, and I just... I didn't think that the main event was bad, but it certainly wasn't good, you know what I mean? It was there, and it lasted forever. And I know it's coming, dude, because I got it for the Orton stuff, and I got it, you know, oh, you don't understand storytelling and all this shit. And it's like... It it, it wasn't good, guys. I'm sorry. I just... (laughs) I love those guys. Trust me. The thing is, we're finding is uh, there is a generation of fans out there that have been indoctrinated to believe that uh, a match is better the longer it goes. Yeah. So, like, if it's over 35 minutes, it's automatically a match that you're concerned. A lot of people believe that. They were told that by the, you know, the previous generation of internet writers. And here's the thing, too, dude. If there was ever any doubt that Shawn Michaels agented this match... Because you had the whole I love you shit near the end. It's like everything has to be a Flair Michaels melodrama now. Uh Uh-huh. And here's the thing. That match was only like 24 fucking minutes. Well, if Rick wasn't 55 years old at that point, it probably would have been 48. But I'm just, it's like, yeah, it's like not everything has to be so long, guys. It really doesn't, man. I'm sorry. Like I said, God. What we need is Gorilla Monsoon. We need Gorilla Monsoon in the gorilla position. And we need him walking out to the ring and yelling, go home, hit people. That's what we need. Dude, like the Edge and Orton match, I was about halfway through Gargano and Chiampa. And all I could think was the same thing I thought during that match. Send Dark City. Yeah. (laughs) John Davis is still down there in Florida. He can do it. There you go. I just... Uh, and I, again, you guys need to understand. I love Gargano and Chiampa, really do. And what's funny is I got an email like about an hour ago, Steve, as we're doing this. Someone's like, "I'm absolutely shocked. I was certain you'd give Gargano and Chiampa five stars because you love them so much." I'm like, <laughs> "Uh, no." There are some people out there that might give uh, certain people certain metrics all the time, but you know, I don't know. I just. I kind of think that there's, like, I've talked about it before. There's something missing with NXT. It's just, they used to have this real simple direct storytelling that worked. It felt like the cool brand. And, you know, people are, it's just not that AEW's on the air. I mean, there's there's been drastic changes in NXT, and it feels like it, and the show just does not feel the same. And I'll tell you, but the thing is, and I'll tell you, there's some people that have been there too long as well. Like this, uh, Gargan and Chiampa are a main example of this. How long have they been, they've been there forever. They've been feuding forever. And as much as they said this match was, uh, was one last beat, that did not look like a, the end of the feud to me. I'm not buying it. Uh, they're going to be back at here at some point. I mean, maybe it won't be next week, but we'll see them back at soon enough and then people will still be wondering, oh my God, that's still going on. I, and there was a point where it was one of the best feuds in wrestling, no doubt. But I got to tell you, this time around, it's kind of felt like it's uh, kind of overstated its welcome a little bit for me. I agree, actually. And I loved a lot of their matches, but I'm just... I honestly thought that my idea following, like, I would have had... You know, like, they, they both ended up losing at that takeover, but I would have had them both lose... And I would have had them reform DIY for a while. May even send them the Roller SmackDown or somewhere else. Well, the thing <laughs> is, Chiampa's not going to go. Yeah. 
Yeah. He's already said he, he has no plans. He doesn't think he can work that main roster schedule because of his neck and all the injuries he's had. Which is probably accurate. But yeah. uh, I, you know what? You could do it now, though, because they don't do touring anymore. Uh, yeah, I mean, in theory, you could. I guess you're right. <laughs> there you go. Send them up the raw. Why not? Have them beautiful street profits or something. I don't know. Yeah. So we'll see what happens, Steve. But, uh, Steve, that's going to wrap up our portion of the show tonight. I want everybody to stay tuned because joining me in a moment is going to be Jerome Kusan, and we're going to talk about Dark Side of the Ring on New Jack. All right, welcome back to the next segment of the show. Joining me once again is Jerome Kusan. Jerome, how are you, my friend? Uh, I'm doing all right. Uh, the one thing, so I, I have not, I've been a terrible podcast host in that I have not been plugging my own shit. So I'm just going to do that really quickly before ahead, yeah. we even get into this. Yeah, I mean, this is my fault. This is a, your responsibility. I have to I have to plug my own stuff. So make sure that you are following me on Twitter at Jerome C1985. I am doing non-wrestling content for the real world. Uh, I host two podcasts over there, one of which is Real Bad. It is a look at the, the legendary television show Breaking Bad. Our next episode is actually going to be coming out on Tuesday of the this week as we will be reviewing season four which is quite epic in nature and uh there's a lot of stuff that kevin and i uh kevin ford and i uh have talked about and i also do a show called superhero pantheon where we discuss superhero movies on a weekly basis uh larry you'll be happy to know that we just reviewed two ghost riders two punishers and a daredevil movie Please, uh, no, you did the Daredevil movie. I was gonna say, uh, I, I I try to follow that that as much as possible and swing it in, but I can't remember. I th- I think you might have, but I can't remember. Did you guys ever look at the early really bad Marvel stuff in terms of what appeared on the Incredible Hulk, as in Daredevil and Thor? We did do two episodes. Yes, we, they, they were they were two TV movies. Yes. One was with Daredevil. And the other was Thor. Yes, I and love yes, those. We did, uh, we did review those. So if you go back into the archives, I thought you, uh, you did. Okay, I don't. I need stuff to listen to during the pandemic, so I will go back and listen to those for sure. Because I just, I couldn't remember. But I, the, the main reason I ask is because, like, number one, I'm just, I, I love the original Incredible Hulk series. I actually owned the entire series on DVD, and when I bought the series, it came with all the TV movies. Mm-hmm. So I actually have like the entire thing, so I love it. <laughs> yes, uh, Hulk and Thor not being able to bring down a helicopter together was really sad. It, it was, and then Daredevil <laughs> just looks like a fucking cat burglar. <laughs> yeah, the co- the costuming is uh, is not great. Oh yeah, it's um, those are something. Those, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've we've really been scratching the bottom of the barrel. Um, because we've been reviewing, we reviewed the 1990 Captain America. Oh, so that's like Captain America being a douchebag and smoking a cigarette for the first half of the movie. Right. Yeah. And he literally (laughs) fakes being sick and drives away from people trying to help him twice. It's bad. It's bad news bears, man. Like I said, we are, we are, we are almost done. We've got a couple months left and then we are going to be taking a break from, uh, from superhero stuff. But it's uh, it's been a fun ride. It's what we've been doing this for about two two and a half years now. So, yeah, good stuff. That is good. Um, 
So real quick before we get into what we're going to talk about, you were bringing up movies and everything. Have you gotten to catch up or watch some stuff you haven't seen during this whole pandemic? I mean, my God, Larry. I mean, it's just... Uh, yeah, I, I've been focusing a lot on Breaking Bad. Uh, a lot of it's for the podcast. I think we would have separated it a little bit more. But we're probably going to be banking shows over the course of the next month because there's not much else to do. And Kevin and I have the time to do that. And I know that we're going to be banking some episodes of Superhero Pantheon and then whatever we do next. So a lot of my time has just been uh, focused on that. And, yeah, I've been watching some sitcoms here and there uh, that I that I haven't been and, and, and watching the TV shows that are that are still airing. So, yeah, I, I am doing a pretty good job of keeping up and and watching some different things. And I still listen to my podcasts. That's a really important part of my day is being able to listen to the podcasts that I, that I listen to. Cause I know the podcast downloads are actually down <laughs> because nobody has a commute anymore, but uh, I'm still going out of my way to still, to still listen to those. And yeah, I mean, it's just trying to keep my sanity. I do not watch the news. I can tell you that definitively. I know that there are a lot of, there are a lot of sadist people out there who watch, CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, and I think those people are crazy. Anything important that I need to know about COVID-19 comes through my Twitter feed, and I have I follow the right and correct people. I listen to doctors. I listen to people who listen to doctors. So anything important will come across my Twitter feed, and I will remain informed by that. I will not, not, not watch the news. It's a bad idea. Well, I mean, that makes sense, dude, and that's a... Uh... Yeah, that's kind of what I do. I I try not to turn the news on because it's just it it feels like not only depressing, but everybody comes off like such a fucking idiot half the time. I can't yeah. deal with it. And speaking of idiots, Larry, that's right. That's what we call a segue into podcasting, biz kids. That, that works out great. We're gonna talk. We, we last time Jerome was on, we talked to Dark Side of the Ring on Chris Benoit, which. Was an extremely well done but very um, emotionally draining watch. They followed it up this week with the story of New Jack. Now, if you are not familiar with your wrestling history, the USWA, Georgia Wrestling, Smoky Mountain, ECW, and even TNA, New Jack is a product of... A really shitty broken home situation and a combination of just mental problems, drugs, and the professional wrestling business. I think that's pretty safe to say. It's uh, I don't know how she really described the San- or New Jack here, but on this special we have guests such as Jim Cornette, the Sandman, and D'Lo Brown chiming in throughout. Obviously no Paul Heyman because WWE people are basically not allowed to do this show. And um, New Jack is a fascinating case study in many ways, Jerome. I think that's a really good way of putting it. I I don't know what to think about New Jack because the thing about it is, is you look at somebody like him. New Jack is, you know, being African-American. He has gone through a lot in his life, obviously, and... You can't you can't separate that out from his behavior. And I'm not going to defend any of his actions. I think the things that he has done have been kind of reprehensible, borderline illegal, maybe prison worthy in some cases. But you can't separate 
what he went through in his past with his parents and they they really touched on his parents but they didn't really touch on a lot of other things which undoubtedly have have had an effect on him i mean you know there's so many times where he talks about just interacting with people on a day-to-day basis and wrestling people not known for being the most progressive and there's so many times when he talks about being referred to as the n-word and i cannot imagine what that does to a person because i i can't i can't say that i've ever gone through that experience of just being so hated because of the color of my skin i mean it's just not something that i i will can ever that i can ever sympathize i not sympathize it's not something that i can ever fully understand because i'm not that person new jack i, I mean just imagine being booed because just just walking out and being black and getting called the n-word I mean, just imagine what that's got to be like and due to his psyche, a fragile psyche that is evidently already there. So so I have very complicated feelings. And I and regardless of his actions, I don't want people to think that I'm in any way condoning his behavior. But, yeah, I mean, it's just those conflicted feelings definitely stayed with me throughout the, uh, the 45 minutes or so of this documentary. Yeah, and to kind of expand on some of the stuff he brought up there, it's like he tells stories about his father not only being abusive to his mother, but the fact that he stabbed his mother and the fact that his father shot his mother in the leg when she tried to get away one time. I mean, that this is beyond broken home situation. And to go into the racial stuff, he, he talks about just... You know, he's in the ring and he, you know, all he hears is, hey, you, you know, and it's just, obviously, I'm not going to say it, but you get where I'm going here. And it's just like, out of nowhere, like just walking out and he hasn't even said anything yet. And we're going to talk about how he egged that on later on. But he also told a story about how he was working somewhere. I forget where he was working at the time. It might have been when he was in Florida, but. Uh, a little white child walked up to him and wanted to shake his hand at first, and then the kid wiped his hand on his arm, like wiped on New Jack's arm, and then wiped it on his arm. And New Jack asked him what he was doing. He said, well, my daddy said if you touch a black person and you touch your skin, you know, you're going to turn black. Which is like the most fucked up thing to tell your kid, first of all. I mean, (laughs) Jesus Christ, man. So, I mean... Yeah, New Jack, again, I mean, he he worked USWA, he worked in the Georgia scene. His first break before getting to ECW, though, was Jim Cornette's Smoky Mountain Wrestling. And New Jack was brought in to be a heel um, with the uh, Mustafa as the gangsters. They had D'Lo Brown there as a guy to take the heat for him when they didn't want to get the gangsters beat up, and... Jim Cornette's basic instructions, according to New Jack, were go say say things that are going to piss white people off. So New Jack would go out there and he would say shit like, I want to thank O.J. Simpson for everything he's done and taking two more of them out. And there's an angle, I think it was like the debut angle, where they went up there and him and Mustafa just like beat the shit out of a couple white jobbers. And he's talking about, you know, 30 years ago, if we would have done this, we would have been strung up in a tree, but now it's okay. I mean, to the point that they basically reenacted the Rodney King angle when they attacked the Rock and Roll Express and beat the shit out of Ricky Morton with 
um, other members of their gang, left Ricky Morton bleeding in Smoky Mountain. And this pissed off so many people, not just the redneck fans, but the NWACP of the local area got pissed off. Which led the New Jack obviously cutting a promo on them, calling them something to the effect of well-trained house monkeys that he wouldn't listen to. So, obviously, New Jack comes from a background that, as a 43-year-old white man, I cannot empathize with or fully understand. But the other fact that cannot be missed is, my man also played into it. He absolutely did. And I think that's, that, that is worth noting, that he, what, he smartly took advantage of the situation and probably made a great deal of money just by virtue and I think we almost have to differentiate his his Smoky Mountain stuff from his ECW stuff because Smoky Mountain stuff is very clearly playing into the racial elements a lot more than his ECW. I think ECW, it's almost like a different person. But I think the thing that you get in both companies is just YouTube, some of his promos. I mean, the thing about New Jack, and I get... I. Eddie Kingston is somebody who really came to mind when I was watching his promos because the thing about new Jack, when you're watching him speak, he comes off like a real person. He does not come off phony. He doesn't come off scripted. He doesn't come off like he's lying. Every word that new Jack says, even when he's talking about OJ Simpson, when he makes that line about the NAACP, I think that he actually believes that. And I can't say that about a lot of people. And if you are going to say those kinds of things and be that controversial, then you almost have to have the sincerity of your beliefs. Otherwise, people are not going to pay money to see to see you. And and he's and and then the action of that, the saying of that is pointless. But that's the thing that impressed me so much with that Smoky Mountain stuff is just the conviction of his beliefs in his voice. And regardless of what you think of him as a person, just watching those promos, you know, I think a lot of people could learn just how to cut a promo and to to be that realistic. And I know that some people are also mentioning the fact because um, he was in he played a small part in Beyond the Mats and they talked about him uh, as an actor and they said that he could be Denzel Washington's friend in a movie. And, and you see that you see the charisma. You see the sincerity. I mean, the guy's just really good at talking, regardless of what you think of him as a person. Those promo skills, absolutely. I could see why Jim Cornette, of all people, would book him. Yeah, and I think the Eddie Kingston comparison is probably the best one for current day because, yeah, when Eddie Kingston talks, it's like I always, I always, I talked about that like when the NWA series started, and I saw they were going to use Eddie Kingston. I'm like. You give Eddie Kingston a mic on your TV show and I got time for you every week. Because Eddie Kingston is is in an era where everybody has to do business talk and, you know, talk to their universe and use, like, just so many specified words and penned out promos... You get an Eddie Kingston out there, and Eddie Kingston talks, again, like you said, a real person. And that is so important. And when Eddie Kingston's talking to him, you feel a passion, you can feel an anger, you can feel an excitement, depending on what he's talking about. 
And yeah, the, the New Jack stuff in Smoky Mountain, again, plays heavily into the Ray stuff. But I think a lot of people do diminish that work. Number one, because it's heavily race-based. Um, and number two, because it's New Jack. And as we're going to talk about in this thing, I mean, there's no way to sugarcoat it. New Jack has a reputation for basically being a cokehead piece of shit. And I think that's where a lot of the difference comes from between Smoky Mountain and ECW. Because you never hear him talking about doing drugs a shit ton in, in the Smoky Mountain or anything. He talks about what he was brought in to do, what was working, and then him getting an offer from ECW. And when he transitions to ECW, then like all he does is talk about trying to hurt people and getting high on coke every night. So that's a yeah, very I big mean, that change. May, that may be an editing choice, too. We don't we don't know. Very true. Um, because I think when you've got 45 minutes, you've only got kind of a limited amount of, of story that you can tell. And a lot of this documentary was focused on the mass transit incident, justifiably so. It's probably what New Jack, I mean, the first line of New Jack's obituary is probably going to be in reference to that specific incident because that's just what he's known for. It hit mainstream media and. It's unfortunately a, 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 an important part of ECW's history. And, you know, I think Paul Heyman gets a lot of the credit for building ECW and coming across like, he, like he's the only one that could do this. And while I think that's true to an extent, I also think the culture of ECW was very poisonous. And I, can, I feel confident in saying that 25 years later, because just look at the people just look at the fact that ECW, like the companies, all of them are so guilty of still trying to get that cheap ECW pop. Whenever they're using a Rhino or Dudley's or Sandman or fucking Tommy Dreamer of all people, like it's 25 years later and these people are still around and Paul Heyman is still around and being gainfully employed. And it's just so bizarre to me because like the thing when I think about ECW, and I think I was a little bit too young. Like I became a wrestling fan when I was about 10 years old, 94, 95. I was a little bit young for ECW. So by the time that I was able to, you know, get into the company and start watching it, the heyday of that promotion was well past. It was 98, 99, and the, 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 um, the bloom was off the rose, so to speak. But to me, what ECW was about was about a group of guys who were not good enough for these bigger promotions. And they were the first people to criticize the Ric Flair's and the Hulk Hogan's and anybody else, all the legends for not retiring. But then ironically, like we're still talking about these guys as if they're still relevant and they're just not. And new Jack, I think because, because of new Jack's reputation, I don't think he is as much, of a part of that culture as a Tommy dreamer or people like that. But that's definitely something that I was thinking about as they were talking about ECW in a general way. Yeah. I mean, it's 2020 and I've watched Tommy dreamer main event, a fucking show still I've watched Rhino main event, a TV show still bully Ray is still around for reasons. Don't know why. Drives me insane. But it's, um, it, it is really weird when you bring it up and you think about it in those terms that 
you know, they were running Don Flair and all those guys for not moving on and letting the new generation in, and then they became that largely, a lot of them. Still around and just... I, I can't believe it half the time. Like, I'm sitting there like... You know, like, say what you will about um, who I'm going to talk about here in a moment, but, like, I'm watching... I was re- reviewing Impact recently, and Sammy Callahan was cutting a promo to, to start the explanation of his new angle. And it was actually a really good promo that I was enjoying. And then, rip-off Man in the Box hits. And here comes Tommy fucking Dreamer. I've been doing this forever. I'm hardcore. I'm going to defend the boys and girls in the locker room. You're a bad person, Sammy Callahan. Let's have a rip-off ECW hardcore fight now. And... I'm sitting there going from, you know, I was really enjoying this promo to 15 minutes later going, I hate this entire segment because I had to watch a long ass Tommy Dreamer match. Can I, can I, did he crotch himself on the barricade? No, actually. Shockingly enough. He didn't? Wow. Then you really didn't get the authentic Tommy Dreamer experience. I didn't get all the hits. I know he was holding back on me. Yeah. I mean, you got man in the box. Uh, did he shout ECFNW at one point or some knockoff of that? I don't recall offhand, but it was largely Tommy playing the hits, stealing from Raven, drop toe hold on a steel chair and all that <laughs> shit. Just, oh, Christ. Just Spicoli driver. It, it was all, it was everything Tommy does for the most part. But yeah, it was, and I'm just sitting there and I'm just, I'm like, oh, come on, dude. Can you imagine if Shane Douglas and Taz could still wrestle? They would absolutely be doing this shit, too. Yeah, well, I mean, at least Taz is smart enough to know he can't wrestle anymore, and I don't mind him as an announcer, at least, but yeah. Thankfully, I mean, uh, I don't know, man, but yeah, it's, um... Yeah. I don't I don't know, dude. It's, it's horrible, but... So, New Jack makes a name for himself in Smoky Mountain Wrestling... I think large in part due to those promos because he was seen as kind of real and interesting at a time where that wasn't happening in the early 90s. No, I mean, WWF and WCW are both cartoons at this point. Yeah. So he gets the call to go to ECW, which, of course, pisses off Jim Cornette because New Jack, he says, doesn't leave on good terms. He takes the offer, and New Jack becomes a product of ECW to where he is one of those Paul Heyman success stories in terms of New Jack could cut a promo, but he was an absolutely fucking wretched professional wrestler. But Paul Heyman understood this. So New Jack matches were not, you know, catch as catch can classics or attempts at that. It was natural born kill as playing and New Jack hitting people with shit for 10 minutes. Followed by the occasional dive early on, which later became his staple. And this was at a point when weapon brawls were not as common. Like, it feels like every show has that match now. But this was at a time when it was somewhat unique, at least. Yeah. And, of course, I mean, obviously, you had the the novelty of the music playing and everything during this whole match at the time. And it's it's very interesting. It's, again, it's... um, it's it's like the Sandman. Like I was talking about the Sandman. It's like nobody thinks the Sandman is a great wrestler, 
But most people that watch wrestling will mark out for the Sandman making an entrance because enter Sandman and just the whole entrance and the vibe of the crowd is great. And then, of course, the whole match is filled with fucking beer-centric name spots and kendo sticks and all kind of shit to cover up for the fact that Sandman is just a construction worker who really likes to professional wrestle, even though he's not good at it. But again, Paul Heyman did not put him in there to try to work Dean, Dean Malenko Eddie Guerrero's specials. So it worked, and it was a product of its time. It wouldn't work today, because you can't get away with all the shit he got away with back then. But it was the another example of maximizing the positives while hiding all the negatives. And I think the craziest thing to me is that Sandman actually did have WWE matches and uh, they were not they were very very bad yeah yeah <laughs> so uh, the oddest thing is I remember back in the day apparently New Jack did get a tryout like they brought him in to give him a look and from what I remember and I may be wrong but from what I remember they put him in a ring before a show and they just had him like running stuff with Val Venus and after about 10 minutes, he got blown up and reportedly left. Said, fuck this, I'm New Jack. And they were like, okay. I mean, I'll say this. I'm not necessarily going to defend that. But if you're bringing in New Jack and just having him run the rope for ten, running the ropes for 10 minutes, then you, ha- then you clearly have no interest in bringing New Jack in anyway. Oh, probably not. <laughs> yeah, it, it was probably one of those, yeah, we'll bring him in and give him a look and... <laughs> Like, you bring New Jack in to come out and hit people with guitars and signs and cares and all that jazz. Exactly. So, I don't know, but it's, um... So, as you mentioned earlier, the kind of calling card on this documentary portion is the famed mass transit incident. This is November 23rd, 1996 in Revere, Massachusetts. Axel Rotten had been scheduled to work a tag match with Devon Dudley against the Gangsters. Could not make the show due to a family emergency, I believe it was. So then you get Eric Kulos, who is a wrestling fan who had just turned 17, told everybody at ECW and Paul Heyman that he was 23 years old and was working as a professional wrestler on the independent scene, and that he was trained by Killer Kowalski. And, of course, there is no vetting going on in 1996, really. It turns out that, you know, Kulos didn't know shit. He went to New Jack and said he wanted to do a bunch of shit that he shouldn't have went to New Jack and said he wanted to do. Which pissed off New Jack, first of all, who was all coked up. And then he, t- he actually goes to New Jack and explains that he wants to get color in their match. But he doesn't know how, so New Jack has to do it. And this just leads to a fucking mess. Because New Jack doesn't have just like a regular razor blade. He has like a surgical blade. And during this match, they tell it on the documentary from all reports at the time. They basically get rid of Devon really early on because New Jack just wanted to fuck this dude up. Stabs at him a little bit with this surgical scalpel and nothing happens. So he goes east to west on him across his scalp. And he starts bleeding like a fucking stuck pig. 
He beats the shit out of this kid. He's bleeding like hell. It's finally over. The kid needs 50 stitches. You can actually hear when they're airing the tape during this. His father freaking out and yelling to to get the ref that my kid's only 17. That's not a good look at all. It's certainly not. And I, I don't know. I think there's a lot of blame that can go around, certainly. I think... You know, I understand where the father is coming from, but why is the father, <laughs> why is the father endorsing this at all? Like, why would you bring a 17 year old to, to this company of all places? Like, I know there's a lot of chic to ECW at this point, but man, I mean, there, there are some people that are out of control and uh, this was a cocktail that was basically waiting to be made. And, you know, it's it's really unfortunate that that this kid, I mean, because that's what he was. He's under age. He's 17 years old at this point that he had to go through that. And I think a lot of the blame does ultimately have to fall to Paul Heyman. I mean, Paul Heyman was there. Paul Heyman is the person who is in charge of the company. And one of the things that I'm a firm believer in is the idea that when something goes wrong, you blame the people at the top because they are the ones that are ultimately responsible. And yes, what New Jack did was morally reprehensible. I don't think he should have gone to prison for five years. I think that's kind of, I mean, that's whether you like it or not. I mean, it was kind of consensual. Um, I think, I actually think what New Jack did much later is much more prison worthy, but in this, in this specific case, as awful as it was, I, I don't think he should have gone to prison for it, but you know, I think Paul Heyman does does share a lot of the blame because he's the one who put this this kid into the match. And it's to me, it's his responsibility to do the research and find out how old is this person actually to check an ID of some sort or a license or whatever uh, to identify it. And the fact that that didn't happen, I think, is a uh, a major a major black mark on him. And I think that this kind of this kind of speaks to the person that Paul Heyman is, because this is not the first time that you hear about these kind of shenanigans. And then as the documentary, when they talk about kind of the trial, you know, they talk about Paul Heyman on the stand and the way that he basically worked the judges and the jurors like he works fans. And it's just it's so bizarre and so weird. And it's it is kind of a tragic story because this uh, because Eric did die. Uh, in 2002 from gastric bypass complications and regardless of whether regardless of what you think of anyone involved the fact that he just passes away a few years later uh, is really really sad it is and we're to talk a little more about this but i do want to mention as we mentioned you got like d'lo on here and the salmon and jim Cornette talking on a side note i find it highly ironic that jim Cornette is on this program when this motherfucker spends 90% of his time bitching about people killing and exposing the business. And then he goes into an extremely detailed breakdown for all the kids at home on how to cut your forehead. And hide a blade and create a blade. I just, I find that very funny. Because everybody else is killing the business, but when Jim Cornette's getting the payday, it's okay for him to do it. Yeah, Jim Cornette is not exactly a credible person when it comes to um, morality and pro wrestling and what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing. I mean, how many shoot interviews has Jim Cornette done over the years too? Oh Jesus. A lot. I mean, his 2000 interview is like legendary. 
Yeah. The one with RF video. I mean, that's like one of the best shoot interviews that's ever been done. It really is. I may have like, that on audio somewhere still. Yeah. I mean, whether you like Jim Cornette or not, I mean, that interview is incredible. It is. And it's just, I just, I just find it amazing, though, that everybody's damaging the business, but never him. Nope. He has never done anything to damage the business ever. So to kind of go back to this coup loss, I mean, this was not just a big cut on the man's forehead. Two arteries were severed during this. He bled profusely, passed out, needed to be escorted out of the building with medical attention. And, um, you know, then all the stuff afterwards comes out that he's only 17, he's not 23, he wasn't professionally trained and all that. New Jack is arrested for assault and battery and actually goes on trial. And um, this also led to the um, ECW's pay-per-view that was coming up being temporarily canceled and t- taken off pay-per-view because of a lawsuit from the Kulos family as well as this uh, trial. And as Jerome mentioned, New Jack sits there and talks about how Paul Heyman just goes up there for his testimony and he's talking about how Kulos called New Jack the N he's like he called him the N word, Your Honor. And he's like, You need to say it for the record or whatever. And he talks about how Paul gets all doughy eyed and sad because there's one older black gentleman in the jury. And he says, I'm sorry, he called him a And just like and you can totally believe that Paul Heyman was in full work mode because number one, he was trying to save his own ass, but number two I'm not sure Paul knows any other way how to live. No, I mean, you just, you can't really, <laughs> that, I mean, that story is just so Paul Heyman. And he has, he puts a spell on people and he's just one of those guys that is always around and is always able to keep himself relevant. And that, that the fact that, you know, he's been in wrestling for 40 years at this point, almost 40 years. And, I mean, you could see why, just with his with his behavior, regardless of, you know, what has happened to him. He always is able to uh, just rise rise up and, and make himself relevant again. And that's that's been a consistent part of his story, uh, going back to his time at WCW, rotating between being an announcer and being a manager, going to ECW first as a manager, then becoming kind of the the booker, and then, you know, when ECW was on its deathbed, jumping ship, going to WWE, and kind of being off and on with them. But he's been such a, a focal point for the last 35, 36 years. And, yeah, I mean, the fact that, I mean, look at, I mean, I don't know how much he has to do with the negotiating Brock Lesnar's contract, but, I mean, he deserves that 10 to 15%, right? Goddamn right. <laughs> <laughs> like what, whatever you think of Brock Lesnar, Paul Heyman getting him that sweetheart deal. I mean, give the man some credit. I mean, you know what? I mean, it might be Paul negotiating that deal, but obviously a lot of it is Brock and what he wants to do. And with that contract, you look at that and you, you got to admit Brock Lesnar, one of the smartest men in professional wrestling. Yeah. He's up there. I mean, he's either the smartest man or is listening to very smart people and thus is smart by osmosis exactly i'm not convinced i'm not convinced that brock is all that smart but he listens to the right people 
I don't know. When it comes to that contract stuff, man, I mean, you got to be smart on some level. So that's all I'm going to say. Yeah. But... Yeah. I mean, you do. And yeah, I mean, I, his intelligence is never doubt. His, his wrestling ability is very much in doubt given his two minute specials. But um, yeah, I saw that ESPN, I guess is going to be airing a bunch of Brock Lesnar matches. And I'm like, well, that'll be a fun 20 minutes. What are they going to do for the rest of the day? I actually think the the Brock Marathon is all UFC stuff though. So, oh, uh, okay, fair enough. But still, I mean, yeah, it's a. You know what though? I mean, he get, he getting paid. I'm not gonna, not gonna hate him for it. Not gonna hate him for that. But yeah, so New Jack is found not guilty, and yeah, I mean, New Jack's career just was very strange in ECW because. He was never really a top guy, but he was also pretty over. So he was always kept around for a lot of tag team stuff. Feuding with gangster, feuding with Mustafa, feuding with Vic Grimes. And that is the next big New Jack incident, right? Yeah. And that's the thing. Like after the cool loss mass transit thing, New Jack admits during this, he becomes a severe Coke addict. And just keeps doing stupid shit in his life, which is the perfect segue to the Vic Grimes angle. And do you remember Vic Grimes was actually signed by WWE, by the way? I do not remember this. All right. So there in the, about in the 90s, you know, Jim Cornette gets sent a tape of Grimes and his opponent doing this feud in APW. They get scheduled for a dark match before an episode of Raw, and they actually both get signed. Grimes gets sent to Memphis to train. Because he's not a very good professional wrestler. He's basically a stunt dude. Um, And then he eventually debuts in 1999 under the name Key. Um, And he was portraying a drug dealer character hanging out with Draws and Prince Albert that feuded with the Godfather. Godfather got injured as the feud started. And Grimes was then taken off TV, sent to ECW to get work in, and then later released. But yeah, this dude was actually signed, and at the time, from what I remember in The Observer and stuff, the hope within WWE was that Vic Grimes could become a Mick Foley-like character. That obviously didn't happen. I mean, I, I from an aesthetic standpoint, I can see it, but I mean, you are never going to get a Mick... I mean, Mick Foley is, I think, even more so than just about any other wrestler they've had, Mick Foley is once in a... Three, like you won't see somebody like McFoley for three generations. I mean, he is very unique. He is, and yeah, that's one of those guys you can't recreate because a lot of what made McFoley into McFoley was his personal struggles and everything he was willing to do and his love for wrestling. And not everybody has that. You know, that not everybody can connect with a crowd like he eventually did, but. The, the Vic Grimes thing is him and New Jack were feuding. Vic Grimes um, apparently almost blinded New Jack in a match. Like, almost broke his orbital bone. So, New Jack was looking for a receipt. And they built to this giant scaffolding match. Ridiculously high, ridiculously dangerous looking scaffolding gimmick. And New Jack, during this match, tasered Vic Grimes. And he tosses him off the scaffolding, allegedly supposed to be landing through a table. He kind of doesn't hit the table. He more hits the ropes and ricochets onto the table. But he was so close to missing the ropes and hitting the floor that he could have killed a man. 
And it's an insanely scary visual even watching it back today. Yeah, and it should be mentioned that this took place in XPW. ECW, I believe, was either dead or dying at this point. So they were not able to, quote-unquote, capitalize on this big rematch. So this was done in an even more dangerous environment. If you ever want to watch a very bad wrestling promotion, just watch XPW. XPW was like a copy of a copy of a copy of ECW. So, I mean, it's it's really, really, really bad. And, of course, when ECW shut down, they started booking all of the ECW talent on their shows, New Jack being one of them. And they built to this match at New Jack. I mean, this is the kind of shit that could have got that should have gotten him arrested. I mean, tasering somebody. I mean, you're not doing that with consent and then tossing him, almost murdering the man by throwing him and almost him hitting the floor. I mean, this it's it's really harrowing. And this to me is this to me is much worse than the mass transit incident. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. People are to think that that sounds really weird, but the mass transit thing, you're cutting the guy on the forehead. Now, granted, theoretically, he could have bled to death when he cut the arteries. But there's a big step from cutting someone's forehead and arteries to throwing them 25 feet possibly to a concrete floor. And I think that's your main point, which I kind of agree with, because it's like, yeah, I mean... He was so close to not, like, staying in the ring. And you can look this up on YouTube, man. It is, it's freaky. It's fucking scary as shit. And it's, yeah, I, I don't know how he skirted uh, jail on this one as well. But it's, um, it's amazing. And then the thing is, is like, we're not even done. Because you're thinking that New Jack possibly couldn't have done worse. He's booked in a small show to face a wrestler many people might have heard of. Uh, a gentleman that wrestled way into his 70s named Gypsy Joe. Gypsy Joe was a dude who just wrestled. He had a reputation for... Uh, he loved wrestling and just his reputation was that he could take punishment. So he would face all these young whippersnappers and take punishment and stuff. And It was like the legend of Gypsy Joe and... He was doing hardcore matches in his 60s and 70s. It was fucking ridiculous, but hey, who am I to judge, right? Gets booked in a match with New Jack. And basically, New Jack gets infuriated during this match because Gypsy Joe's gimmick is he's a tough guy, so he kind of no-sells the beginning of the match. And he's no-selling New Jack. And so it turns into New Jack beating the absolute fuck out of a 72-year-old man, including hitting him in the head no less than three times with a fucking baseball bat. I I don't know what else to say. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's horrendous. And, I mean, by this point, New Jack's career is, is basically over, and he was never going to be a focal point of a promotion again. Did he do anything noteworthy in TNA? Because I know you mentioned that earlier. The documentary really does not address his TNA stint. Did he do anything worth noting? Um, the only thing he did worth noting was a bunch of garbagey hardcore matches. But the highlight, actually, of his TNA career, and I'm not joking, were his backstage segments with the Shark Boy. Shark Boy was enamored with New Jack and wanted to be his best friend. So they would play board games and shit backstage and chess. And this led to um, 
a match where um, New Jack was in a hardcore match and Shark Boy ran out to save him and threw him those giant green Hulk hands, which led to amusing shenanigans with New Jack using the Hulk hands in his match. But that was probably the most wholesome portion of his career. The only wholesome portion of his career, possibly. I mean, it wasn't anything good, but it was at least amusing in that kind of like, oh, this is kind of sweet and different thing on the show. But no, he didn't really do anything important in TNA. He was basically an older, toned-down New Jack. and Yeah. Yeah, and I know that the documentary tries to make the case that hardcore wrestling was um, becoming a bigger and bigger thing as far as um, those early 2000s. And I don't know if I necessarily agree with that wholeheartedly. I definitely think that it was becoming more excessive and the CZWs and IWA Mid-South doing their, their, their deathmatch tournaments. But I mean, to me, it's always, it's always kind of been a niche thing, even more so these days. I mean, certainly a cage of death is going to draw its fans and the tournament of death draws its fans, but I don't think it's ever really been all that mainstream. And, you know, I think someone like new Jack, unfortunately was never going to get, opportunity he was going to get a very limited amount of opportunities like doing the stuff that he was doing in tna because he just wasn't very good and you know by the end of his by the end of his run he's wrestling in front of 30 people against hunter red and this is kind of the final incident that they talk about i was greatly amused that they talked about that this promotion had momentum and then they cut to the video and there's like 30 people there and it's like this is like every other florida independent promotion that i've ever watched including fip Are Florida promotions just doomed to draw 30 people? I think so. I mean, that's... um... Yeah, so we we go ahead to 2004, and this is the Hunter Red thing, and he's he's working for this fucking small-ass promotion here in Florida. Yeah, it is amusing, as Jerome said, because they have the dude that ran it on there, and he's like, we were really picking up some momentum, so I brought in New Jack. And they're showing footage, and it is, it's literally like 30 people may be generous. There's like nobody there, and New Jack is going to face a gentleman named Hunter Red, and they sh- they talk about, they talked backstage early, and I guess Hunter Red kind of disrespected New Jack, so he didn't want to listen to him. And then they got in the ring, and Hunter Red stiffed New Jack a few times in his nose. So, of course, what would any rational human being, human being do, Jerome? You get a Wolverine claw from out of your pants and you repeatedly stab this motherfucker. Or at least that's what New Jack did. And Jim Cornette is watching. Well, not live, but they had Jim Cornette watch this. Yeah. And he didn't bury it, which is kind of in defiance of the character that he's been building up for himself in recent years. He almost came, it almost came across like he was defending New Jack in some way, or at least found it amusing. Yeah, and that, that just goes to show you that Jim Cornette on online and on his podcast is such a fucking gimmick these days. Yep. It's all a work. So this led to the police being called, New Jack being arrested for another assault charge, and New Jack claiming it is... Others, you know, uh, that it was unfair racial bias because he was basically tackled and they were like, get the black man and stuff like that. And it's, yeah, it's definitely something hearing him try to defend himself. It's like, you stabbed the motherfucker multiple times. 
And both things can be true. Like he deserves to be arrested, but they, but the cops can also be racist too. <laughs> this is true, but I mean, <laughs> and again, new Jack absolutely should have been arrested. So I, you know, I think it's one of those things where two wrongs do not make a right. And we, there may very well have been two wrongs committed there. Yeah. But I mean, the, I mean, he kind of overshadows it. Like the police were called and they were told to get the black man who stabbed the white guy. And it's like, Okay, well, hang on. I'm I'm not trying to dismiss that maybe the police were racial, racist against you, but were you not right. a black man who repeatedly stabbed a white man in front of a crowd of people? Right. I mean, it is it is accurate, <laughs> and it did not. Yeah, I don't know how many other black people were there, so it, that that may have been a part of it too. Yeah, it's just, especially one walking around with a Wolverine claw. I'm not <laughs> sure there are very many. Yeah, camouflage and a Wolverine claw. He was pretty uh pretty well known, I'd say. Although, in Florida, with all the meth, you never know. Fair point. This is a fair point. So then they're they're talking about how Hunter Red eventually went to visit him in prison and offered to drop the charges if New Jack would work an angle with him and work the loop around Florida so that they could make money. Which is so just a fucking professional wrestling business. Would they be working the Largo loop? Uh, Possibly. Gotta get that in somehow, dude. I mean, we're... Maybe worked that cool nightclub where uh, CM Punk and Homicide had that fight, <laughs> the stripper poles and shit. But um, yes, so New Jack gets out of prison because he drops the charges, and then the first thing New Jack does is fucking hightail it out of Florida. He's done, <laughs> riding off into the sunset. Does he? He doesn't still wrestle, does he? I oh, Christ, I can't imagine. But now that you mention it, I'm going to look it up on the cage match. Because, I mean, he's obviously not wrestling for major promotions. But, I mean, I know he did an appearance in AIW at some point. I don't remember when that was. But, yeah, I mean, it's pretty crazy to think about that this guy has just been around for for such a long time. And um, he was featured in the Beyond the Mat documentary and has gotten – he is infamous for the mass transit incident and the Vic Grimes incident and, to a lesser extent, uh, the things with Gypsy Joe and Hunter Red and – yeah, it's just it's it's really crazy to think about that we're still talking about him in 2020 and that a documentary could be made about him and that it still feels relevant in some point. And I guess the only thing that I was thinking about is I, I wish that we had I wish this was 15 or 20 minutes longer. I don't think this deserved the full 90 minute treatment like Chris Benoit, but it just feels like there was a good 15 to 20 minutes left where you could have talked about New Jack, especially kind of pre-mass transit, post-mass transit, and explore the drug issues a little bit more. But, yeah, um, I mean, this this was certainly better than, this was still definite, this was still better than almost any season one episode, I think. Yeah, he was working, like, through the 2000s, he was working pretty regular through about 2005, he lightened up a lot of th- from 2006 on, very sporadic um, in 2015, 16, 17. No matches listed on the cage match in 2018, and he worked a hardcore battle royal in 2019 as the last match they have listed for him. So I don't think he's worked obviously much here, and probably for good reasons, because Taking all those balcony dives could not have left him in a good shape, plus all the drug abuse. 
Yeah, and we talked about CTE last week. I would imagine there's concussion issues with New Jack as well. Yeah, so I guess, you know, you come to the end of this, and I agree with you. It would have been good to have a little more time. You kind of would like to see them get into a couple more things. It felt a little rushed at the end. The show is, I don't know any other way to put it, but New Jack is just a fascinating case study on uh, what a bad background combined with drugs and the professional wrestling business can do together. Because I think a lot of it plays into each other. I mean, obviously he had a very tragic background with his father being the way it was to his mother. And he gets into wrestling, which is not the most stable fucking profession in the world. And he becomes addicted to Coke. He's drinking vodka all the time. I mean, he was drinking vodka during his interview. Yeah. And he even joked and laughed about it. He's like, drinking vodka now. So it's like, I I don't know. It's like, I've heard stories that have said he's like a really nice guy. But, I mean, you watch this and you look at the mass transit thing, you look at the Gypsy Joe thing, you look at the Hunter Red thing, you look at the Vic Grimes thing. I, I think if you haven't followed wrestling at all, and I think you kind of watch this, you kind of walk away with the feeling that this dude's kind of un- an unprofessional piece of shit. I would agree. I mean, and that's just... Again, I'm sure there's a lot that leads into it, and I can't live the life of a black man and tell you I had to go through everything he went through, but I mean, there's just a lot going on there, man, and I don't know what... I don't know if people being racist to you leads you to drinking and doing drugs and then throwing people off scaffoldings and shit like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, there's this term that is microaggressions, and the reason that they're called microaggressions is because, like... Be called something one time is not going to do something, but as it builds up, you know, that I think that is a, as of a far greater concern. And, and there's also the stuff in his background with his mom and his dad and his dad does not sound like a, a very, a very good person. So I'm sure that the, uh, some of the violence comes from, from that part of it too. And who knows what kind of a neighborhood he grew up in and the, the kind of life I'm sure he was not growing up in a, in a in an upper class uh, mansion or even a house, <laughs> I'm sure that plays into it too. N- not a lovely gated community. <laughs> not a lovely gated community or a gay community for AJ Styles. <laughs> there you go. So I mean, yeah. It's again like I'm trying not to. I can't fully judge because I don't know, man. I can't live that life and everything. But like, like I'm saying, if you're watching this from the outside and you don't know, especially like the professional wrestling business and how fucked up it is. You just walk away from this, and it's like, my God, like what? What kind of fucking person is this? Yeah, D'Lo Brown especially did not look comfortable talking about New Jack at any point. He really didn't. He <laughs> was, yeah. Um, I don't know, dude. It's um, again, like you said, it's it's a very interesting overall. It is well done. It came across a lot better than pretty much, I almost all the season one stuff. Again, we we talked about like. There's not a lot of great in season season one. Like the Von Eric episode is very well done and things like that. The Gino one's pretty well done. But there's not a lot of great in that season one. In season two, it feels like you had that Benoit one. 
And now you have the new Jack one. And while obviously not on the same level, I think we can agree it is very well done. And I think the fact that we wanted a little more, like we wanted a little more in a good way. We weren't like pissed off. Like, well, they left a bunch of shit out. It just felt like you could have told a little more story and gotten deeper into it. So I think that means it was kind of well done making you want more. Yeah, I I always would rather, because there are some docuseries these days that just go way too long, and there are six episodes when they should be three or four and things like that, and I can bring up numerous examples. But, I mean, I think think when you do a new Jack story, I think an hour would have probably been perfect, but I think it works – I think it functioned pretty well at 45 minutes too. And I think you learned a lot and I think you definitely walked away with a greater sense of who he was. And, you know, I have, I have a pretty good knowledge of new Jack, but even I learned some stuff. I learned that mass transit was doing, uh, the Massachusetts loop with a couple of, uh, of, of little people, which I, which I found to be utterly fascinating. And he quickly shoved those little people aside for to try to get his own fame. Once he got into that ECW match, and then later we find out that the little people involved ended up on Raw playing like mini rock and shit. Yeah, so I guess you could say that Eric Kulas was the one that was behaving very small on that day, right? That's right. So, um, but yeah, again, it's another really well done episode. I mean, um, I don't think anybody's going to come away from this episode going, gosh darn, that new Jack's a good fella. <laughs> but I mean... <laughs> I mean, uh, it kind of is what it is. Not everybody's going to come away from a story being the hero, you know? Well, the other thing that I think this this always makes me wonder about is, does wrestling attract shitty people? Or does wrestling make shitty people? And that's something that I think about a lot. Because there, New Jack is obviously a very specific and unique case. But, I mean, there's other guys, too, that we could talk about. And... <laughs> where there's definitely some shadiness. I mean, the ECW locker room in general just had a lot of that. And it speaks to the fact that so many of them died before they were 50 years old. Yeah. And it's, um, God, it's just, yeah, it's, yeah, it, it, it's certainly a watch, man. I mean, get, get prepared. You're going to see a lot of violence and stuff. And if you're not familiar with a lot of new Jack or those incidents, you're going to get um, pretty well educated on it. So, I think Dark Side of the Ring continues to do a good job. And Jerome, what are we going to get to talk about next week? I don't So I didn't see the advertisement because I watched it through the app. I don't watch it through the regular TV. So I didn't see what was the, the episode next week. Ah, uh, damn it. I set you up and everything. All right. Next week, Jerome, is going to be the Brawl for All episode. Okay, so... I don't know if it's appropriate to say that Bart Gunn getting knocked out is funny, but Brawl for All is definitely going to be funny. Yeah, and I, I think it's a, it's coming at a good time because we did the Benoit episode, which was obviously very serious, very emotional. The New Jack one, no matter what you think about it, also very serious in tone because of everything it dealt with. The Brawl for All will be fun now to talk about because of the whole absurdity of trying to let your professional wrestlers shoot fight and the fact that you killed the aura of a bunch of your alleged tough guys. And then the Vince McMahon actually thought that Bart Gunn would have a chance against Butterbean. Yeah. I mean, that is very exciting. Did, did they talk to Butterbean? Is he one of the people that was interviewed? I don't know, but God, I hope so. 
I just want to see Butterbean talk about that match, like desperately. I do too. <laughs> so I, I'm looking forward to that. But uh, Jerome, as always, I want to thank you for your time and uh, shout out the podcast names again so everybody can give a listen to those. Uh, so you are going to go to entertherealworld.com or The Real World on your favorite podcast apps and listen to both Superhero Pantheon and Real Bad. One about superhero movies, the other, of course, about the titular series Breaking Bad. All right, so that's going to wrap Jerome and I up for this week, and uh, he will be returning as we continue to work through this series. And uh, thank you again, my friend. Thank you, as always, Larry. I look forward to talking about the Brawl for All. And that'll wrap up tonight's episode of the show. I want to thank everybody for listening. This has been the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. Please remember you can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, the 411mania.com website, and any major podcasting platform. Please make sure to subscribe to our show, share us around on social media, and if you have time, leave us a five-star review on the podcasting platform of your choosing. Stay safe, everybody.